1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. I want to read three verse of scripture, very familiar verse of scripture. But um, there are those here that are new to the Bible. And this if you're new to the Bible, you're in good company. And for those that are watching online, we acknowledge and appreciate you being with us and having your Bibles ready. So here's what the Bible says. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given things, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Notice this NIV version said, this is my body, which is for you. Your Bible might say, this is my body, which is broken for you. But, but we're going to make a note there in a moment. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner or in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance or recollection or active calling to mind of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. One more time. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, Here's what happens. You proclaim, that is, you elevate, you lift up, you exalt the Lord's death until he returns. I want to talk this morning about Holy Communion and the church today. Holy Communion and the church today. Your title probably has on the app, Holy Communion and the bread and wine and what I need from the bread and the wine. Mothers, I want to thank you for preparing the communion table. I've asked that everyone was casual and relaxed in their attire today. I just felt like I wanted to be in my clergy as I served communion on this morning. But I'm going to ask, uh, if you all don't mind, mothers, let me ask these two gentlemen to remove the, 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 um, the um, cover uh, from the communion. I believe there should be a, 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 a cup and some bread under there. If you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to see if that's there. Would you take a moment and just tell your neighbor, uh, there's, there's power in the bread and power in the wine. I just want you to tell someone before you're seated, there's power in the bread and there's power in the wine. Please be seated if you can in the presence of the Lord on this morning. Amen, amen, amen. If the truth be told, you can never minister or preach. Thank you. Yes, if you just said it there, that's perfect. You can set it right there. Beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We had a very powerful time of teaching uh, the teachers and training the trainers on yesterday. And now I feel a little awkward because we spend so much time talking about the, 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 the importance of visual aid and the importance of manipulatives when you teach because the picture of the teaching is, is more than a thousand words. It sends more of a message. So thank you all for your help on today. I want to talk just for the next few moments about Holy Communion, uh, particularly in the context of 2023 and what that should mean to you and what that should mean to me what does that mean to the church in such a time as this holy communion now before we do that I, I need to lay a little foundation about what was happening in the church when Paul writes this letter we do know that Paul is the author of first Corinthians we know because it is self addressed or self-prescribed we know that Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and so he he was a pretty important and pretty influential person in the Bible but when he writes 
to the church of Corinth. It wasn't one of those up to do, well to do, arrive mature churches. In fact, it was a very opposite. The church of Corinth was an immature church. It was a very juvenile church. This church had a lot of issues. In fact, it's written about 50, 55 years after Jesus has risen from the dead. He has gone back to heaven and now the church waits. While they wait, they have to grow. They have to mature. They have to do what God has called them to do. So they're a young group of Christians trying to figure out this church thing, right? But here's the problem. There's a lot of division in the church. There's a lot of dysfunction in the church. There's a lot of disorder in the church. There were differences and all type of things that were happening in this very insecure and this very adolescent church. Now, that's important because Paul wants to warn them. I know you are in the world, but try not to be like the world. I know you've got to go to work and you've got to do things with your co-workers and you've got neighbors and your kids have extra uh, um, uh, uh, extra activities. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, okay. You know, it's, but, 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 but it is not to your benefit to blend in with worldly lifestyles. He's really trying to admonish the church. You've been bought with a price. There's something different about you, church. And I know we like to, you know, we, I know we really we want to fit in. Everybody wants some sense of affirmation. Everybody wants to feel welcome and no one wants to be an oddball or be odd man out. But be careful with the culture that you're now a part of. And it causes me to wonder today about the church now. What possibly would Paul say about the church today in 2023? We traded our commitment and consecration for post-COVID complacency and comfort. I wonder what Paul would say about the church worldwide today. Is it the fact that we've exchanged our moral values and courageous convictions for popular opinions fearing cancel culture? What would Paul say about our church today? Have we been sold out from righteousness and sanctification for this ungodliness, unrighteous worldliness and lawlessness? So they could continue to push their agendas, their envelopes and sin. It is as if now we live in a world where, where they can't push the envelope enough. They can't push their agenda enough of secularism and sin. And we expect them to do that. But when is enough enough? You want to know? Cut the TV on tonight at 7 p.m. and watch the Grammys. You'll see how far we have gone against what once we stood so boldly and courageous for. And all the while, we don't really hear a lot from the church. We're, it is as if we are missing in action and we're quiet. And so 1 Corinthians is a book that Paul writes to help the church. Let's focus in on chapter 11 in particular. So in chapter 11, Paul begins his discussion about another problem that he notices in this young and growing church. He observes them when it's, when it, when, when it's time for the Lord's Supper. Now some of you all in your tradition, you call it the Eucharist. Others call it the Lord's Supper. Some call it Holy Communion. But as these Christians were waiting, right, as they were waiting for Jesus' rapture or his parousia, his return, they got together for what was called the love feast. The love feast. It'd be, you know, we used to have them every once in a while. The, the, the closest thing I think we have is when the seasoned saints and 
seasoned members would have their fellowships and everybody brought a potluck dinner and everybody brought food and everybody had a good time and people fellowshiped and had a great ball. Well, that was the original love feast. But somewhere in that, there was a time to slow down and remember the body and the blood. The body and the blood. Paul takes notice and he takes warning and says, wait a minute. I hear there are two problems in this quote-unquote love feast. Number one, there's division and indifferences among you. You got some people now who are sparring on who's going to be the greatest. You got some people sparring on what doctrine is right and what doctrine is wrong. Paul said that's not the purpose when you come together. But here's the bigger problem. There's a lot of self-seeking and self-serving. In fact, let me read it to you. I, I want you to hear this. The Bible says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For in your meetings, you do more harm than you do good. In the first place, verse 18, I hear that when you come together as a church, there is division among you. And he says, you know what? I believe it. I believe it. He goes on to say, no doubt there has to be differences among you, but when you come together, is it not for the Lord's Supper that you eat? As you eat, one goes ahead of the other. You skip in line. You're saving a spot for your friend, and yet somebody else is yet still hungry, and then you got somebody getting drunk. You're only supposed to have a little cup of the wine to commemorate communion, but you're getting four and five and six and seven cups. Now, y'all think we're making this stuff up, but just read the Bible. Ned DeWino was in the love feast at the, at the church of Corinth as he hangs around still to this day. Everybody okay so far? I, I noticed some of y'all didn't say amen in this section. I, I, hope, I hope I'm not offending nobody oh, when I talk about getting drunk. Okay, uh, so, 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 so let's keep reading. So here's, here's, here's what happens when we have men who are self-seeking and women who are self-serving. Here's what happens when we create a culture when it's more about me than it is about us. Or better yet, more about me, more so than about him. Everybody okay so far? I won't be long, right? Here's what Paul says. So whoever eats his bread and drinks his cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, divisions, differences, self-serving, self-seeking, you will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. Would you remember that word for me? Examine. I want to bring that back up at the end of the message. Let him examine himself, right? So he won't eat or drink in an unworthy manner. Because if you do not, notice the word Paul uses, if you do not discern. Would you say that with me? Discern. Come on, that's about three-fourths of the people. Let me get the other fourth of the people to say that. Everybody, come on, say, discern. Paul says, if you don't discern the Lord's body, for this reason, three things happen. Number one, people are weak. Number two, people are sick. And some have prematurely died. We don't talk a lot about premature death in the church. We just give it up to medicine. We give it up to texting while driving. We give it up to random shooting. But I wonder what would happen if we really took time to figure out, you know, God, why is it that some things are allowed even in this dispensation of time? The Bible doesn't make any mistakes, I believe. I believe it's here for a reason. And so Paul says this, when you don't discern, now that's not a Google word. That's not going to be a YouTube word. That's a spiritual concept. The word discern means to separate the two, to distinguish between what's natural and what's spiritual. 
to distinguish, to determine between what is natural and what is spiritual. I, I, I want to go deep with this one. You made a great point, by the way, in your exhortation. Your tithe is not a natural thing. It makes no earthly sense to give 10% of my income and expect God to do more with less than 10%. When our Jewish brothers and sisters honor the Sabbath, it makes no sense for them to work six days and be less than one and a half percent of the people, but it seems like they've been so blessed and prospered and, and, and increased more than those who work seven days. That's why Chick-fil-A didn't make sense to a lot of us. They closed on Sundays and Popeyes is still trying to catch up with them. Yeah, I'm just saying, some things just don't make no sense. Tithing is not a natural thing. It isn't. If you look in the Old Testament, right, the fact that you were to take 10% of your crops, you would think in a competitive environment and a free market society, you need every edge you've got. And that's the same way today. But in the spiritual, it's a walk of faith. It's a decision that I make that God is real. God hears my prayer and he honors his word. So let's go back to our friends in Israel or around the world for that matter. They make up less than 2% of the population. But in almost every single social economical board, they see some sense of dominance or some sense of increase. Could it be that because they yet honored the God of the Bible from 4,000 years ago when he made a promise if you give me your Sabbath I will bless them six days could it be that they still honor the tithe or the giving of first of fruits and if you do that I will do something more that man can never do could it be could it be and so as we look back at communion I grew up in the Baptist Church I grew up in Houston Texas and I can remember as a child going to church in Third Ward in the hood every single Sunday. I was on the junior choir, the junior ushers. My dad is on the deacon board. My mama worked in the Christian ed area. Reverend so-and-so and so-and-so. And there's a whole lot of stuff that went on and a whole lot of things 40, 45 years ago. But you know what I remember probably more than anything else? Holy Communion. Oh, I remember them putting the chair down. And you all right, is this kind of hot? <laughs> We're going to have to get some steps somewhere. I remember them putting the chair down. And you could join the church by Christian experience or letter of baptism. I remember that part. But I remember more than that, the ushers with them white gloves on. And they had one hand behind their back. I remember Communion and the tray in that time. And even before we really committed to the Lord, uh, when my daddy got saved, my mom and my sister, we would go to the Catholic church. I love the Catholic church because they gave away free donuts. I remember the free donuts. And they have, they, they church service women for 45 minutes. I remember that as a kid because I was a Houston Oilers fan. I was a Love You Blue, Earl Campbell, Dan Pastorini, you know, the whole, whole Houston Oilers thing. And so, um, but I, even then, I remember their communion because in the Catholic church, you have one cup and they pass that cup around. Hello? And they gave these little, little small wafers. And the wafers didn't do nothing, right? But it was little wafers. They, they would dissolve in your mouth. But isn't it something? I don't remember a whole lot else about the Catholic Church. But I do remember that wafer. And I remember that big old cup. Let's go back to the Baptist Church. I remember those deacons and those ushers. And there was just something sanctified about communion. 
And I don't remember a whole lot else. But those things I remember. And you know what else I remember? I remember that you were not supposed to take communion if you had junk in your life. Now, I don't know if that came from the pastor, the mother, the parents. It was just a known embedded truth. You don't take Holy Communion with known sin or unconfessed sin in your life. And I don't know. I just, maybe the fact that, you know, the type of church I came out of, you know, women get the Holy Ghost, they get, you know, touched by the Lord. They, they fall out and the ushers will pick them up. And then it, it, it'd be like a funeral almost. You know, they'd pick them up by, by six ushers, pick them up, and they just move them out to the side door. And, you know, to most of us, we thought they were dead. So there was some type of imagery of fear that you better not mess with this communion stuff, right? So that being said, that being said, how important today should we honor and teach our kids that there's something spiritual, all right? Not natural, but it's something spiritual. So when we don't discern the body and the blood, three things are inevitable. Number one, we're weak. Could that be spiritual weakness? Could that be emotional weakness? Could it be financial weakness? Could it just be weakness around the fact that we're just not right where we really need to be? Number two, not only weak, but sick. I like to put the word sickly. And everybody gets a head cold, everybody gets the flu, and okay, everybody every once in a while has a moment here and there. But some people are just sickly. And you just for the life of you didn't figure out why they're so sickly. Could it be the fact that we're not honoring? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just asking. Could it be that maybe we not examine ourselves? I had a conversation with someone less than a week and a half ago. And I said, man, staying at home ain't going to help you no good. You need to come to church and believe God for healing. And I just got a little self-righteous, not self-righteous, but righteous indignated. Or indi I had some righteous indignation. And it was just kind of bothering me because so many times we lay down, the, we, we, we roll out the red carpet, we appease and please and do everything we can do. But someone or another, you got to pull yourself up with your own bootstraps and participate in your own rescue. And if we layer, if we lower our standard and just make it so that any old body can do any old thing, where is the sanctity? Where is the, uh, the exclusivity of communion and God's power? Oh, I can pray, we can lay hands, we can give you the well wishes, send you a text and an email, and a couple of emojis. But someone or other, you need to trust God. Let somebody pour oil on you. Let somebody put their hand on your stomach, on your head, or your back, or your, your head, something, and believe God. I mean, after all, ain't this why we're here? Isn't this why we serve him? This isn't this what we be, believe in the Bible? And so that being said, and some sleep, quiet, premature death. I thank God for parents who instilled in me the fear of God as it relates to Holy Communion. Even in your darkness, even in my darkness, even in man's darkness, there ought to be some type of conviction that draws the line that says, you know what, I'm going to have to fake it till I make it, but I'm there not about to touch that, knowing I'm not where I need to be. I believe God will have mercy as we examine. Everybody okay? As we examine ourselves. I have to teach this in such an elementary standard because there are people watching online. And there are people here who may not know the Bible. And, 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 and though you and I have grown up in this all our lives, 
We live in a generation now where some people, this is absolutely bananas to them. And so we try to make it as simple and as elementary as possible. Holy communion, let me define it just real quick for a moment. It is a sacred, it's sanctified. It is a time of fellowship and commemoration of the body of Christ. That's really all communion is. Communion, koinonia, fellowship. It is a time where we gather as the body of Christ. I, hope, I know I'm going to say something that you're not going to like, but a group of sinners can't get together and have Holy Communion. It's exclusive to the Christian. Now, you can drink wine and, and, and eat crackers and, and, and break off a piece of bread and go through the motions all you want, but it means nothing to you, nor does it mean anything to the Lord. Now, I'm old school with this one, but I, I just believe that anybody can serve communion at any time, at any place, anywhere. We have to keep something sacred about the sacraments of communion. I believe, listen, 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 listen. I believe God will keep his hand on certain churches simply because they keep the tradition and the sacraments of things that are important to him. Do you hear me? I won't be long. It is a sacred, sanctified time of common fellowship and commemoration in the body of Christ as the body of Christ, which is the local church. I want to give you three understandings of communion and we'll have communion. Number one, communion is a time of celebration and commemoration, a time of celebration and commemoration. Number two, I'll go over this in a minute, a time of commitment as consecrated. And I'm going to use the word sanctified, sanctified people. Number three, communion is a time of covenant with Christ and his kingdom. Let's look at number one, a time of celebration and commemoration. I want to go back to Luke chapter 22. So let's go back to the scriptures we had in first Corinthians. Remember now, Corinthians is a young church. It is an immature church. It is a growing church, but they got some issues, divisions, dysfunctions, disorders, got some problems. And to try not to be Paul said, don't be secular, don't be worldly, don't give in to syncretism, which is a mixture of right and wrong, a little, a little good and bad. Hey, steer away from all of that stuff, no matter how enticing, appealing, or attractive it might be. Do you understand me? Okay? He says, listen, the real deal is simply this. You got to understand, for, let me talk, can I, can I talk to the Bible scholars, all of the Bible scholars in the room? Matter of fact, Pastor Mary, we'll just make this um, uh, a teaching in between the two trainers of the teachings. I need to know one thing. Where did Paul get this from? When Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when he says, I received from the Lord. In fact, I want to make sure I'm reading it the way it says correctly. Paul says, I received from the Lord, and now I'm going to pass it on to you. Time out. When was Paul in the upper room? He wasn't. Where was Paul when those 12 or the 120 received all of these instructions? Wasn't there. He didn't have no conversation with Peter. He had no conversation with John or Luke or, 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 or any of those original 12. God spoke to Paul in prayer. God gave him a divine revelation. God ministered directly. Now, we don't know if it was when he went to the second or the third heavens, or maybe when he was on the road of Damascus. We don't know. But all we know is this. God spoke to Paul and said, I'm going to give you what to be said when it comes to Holy Communion. So it, it is as if God brought Paul 50 years prior, put him in the room and said, here's how it's going to go down. 
So he says, I received from the Lord, and now I'm going to pass it on to you. That on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, took the cup, and you, you know the rest at this point. But, but here's what's interesting. Notice what the Bible says in the book of Luke. The Bible says in Luke, and he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he said to them, saying, this is my body, which is given, which is given for you. Stay with me. Stay with me, okay? Now, Luke, Matthew, and Mark, that's what we call the synoptics. The word synoptic. Say that with me, synoptic. The word synoptic means the same. Luke, Matthew, and Mark, those are the same three people who saw the same thing. So that's what we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are synoptic gospels. Now, John, on the other hand, the, the fourth gospel, has a whole other dimension of time, a whole other revelation. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they saw the same thing, and they all wrote the same thing right here. Nowhere in the Bible did they write that my body was broken for you. You know why? Because it was prophesied that not a bone in his body would be broken. Okay, remember that. Jesus, even through the whole Via Della Rosa and the way of the cross and, and on the cross, the Bible made a promise from the Old Testament not one bone in his body would be broken. So if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not one time does it say his body was broken. Paul adds that 55, 60 years later. But the reality is this, Jesus says, my body has been given to you, and, let's keep reading, and do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he takes the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So, Pastor Stevens, we're thinking people here, so why would you make that distinction? Matthew, Mark, and Luke saw Jesus, heard Jesus, was with him. And not one time does he say his body was broken, because that was true. So why does Paul say it? Because now Paul lives in a world and a life where you and I as people of God should live lives of brokenness. We should live lives of humility. We're not Jesus. We weren't there with him back th during that time. But as we live as Christians today, don't be like, the, I keep pointing that way, I mean, don't be like the worldly people. Don't be secular. Be consecrated. Be holy. Be sanctified, be separated. And I know those are old Pentecostal religious words, right? But they're still true today. Be separated for the master's use. Live a life of brokenness. And if you don't know how to live a life of brokenness, God knows how to help you. <laughs> if you're struggling, <laughs> and you're from the great state of Texas and all you got is nothing but pride. God knows exactly how to humble you. This is my body which has been broken. Paul writes because the expectation in communion is that this should be a time of examination. Would you give me 10 more minutes? And in my brokenness, in my frailty, in my humanity, I need the Lord. We spent the last few weeks talking about seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord. We want this church to be a very transparent, translucent, effective, relevant church. I'm gonna say it and I'm gonna keep saying it until I say it no more. We gotta go beyond love God, love others and serve the world. That sounds really good. But what does that really mean? We gotta go on when, I, when we have our classes, and we teach the people what we believe. This is our statement of faith. We believe in the Bible. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in this and that. All oh, that's great. And it's wonderful to tell everybody what we believe. And that only impresses us. But what about the couple who's headed to divorce court? How will all this right here help them? And how do we communicate that to them? 
Maybe if we would tell them, listen, we're saved, sanctified, we love Jesus, but we're not immune to go to couples counseling ourselves. We're not immune to therapy. I'm single, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, and I really love Jesus, but old girl go to, go to therapy from time to time too. And that make me crazy or makes me weird or, or make me weak. When you become real, see, brokenness has a way of humbling us to say, we're all here. We're all going through this together. So, so when we start a divorce care class, we need people who can say, been there, done that. And we can help you. First of all, we're going to try for reconciliation. But if reconciliation is off the table, we want to help you live productively as a divorcee. You're a widow. I'm not a widow, but there are people who've been widows and they're widows now. And you don't have to be old and dead and, 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 and jacked up and, and woe is me and waiting to die. You can live the best of your life the rest of your life. Choose you not to desire to get married. But somebody needs to tell them, I can help you. Every time you cut the TV on, young black man, cut TV on, young black man, cut TV on the news, young black man, breaking news, young black man. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit here, but y'all know I'm about 95% I'm, I'm true. Our TV, media, and news is plastered with our young men. Who's parenting them? You know, I saw something interesting. I wish I had the YouTube editing skills, but you know, you, you, you see the five black police officers this past Monday or a week, week before last, and unfortunately that murder in that scene in Memphis, Tennessee. But then three or four days ago, you, you see this, this fight on the school bus with young kids that goes viral. And, 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 and these kids are like elementary school, and one young man, he's just beating, he's just beating and beating and beating and beating and beating and beating. And beating. I mean, it's, just, it's a horrible. And if I had the time, if I had editing skills, I'd say, this is how it starts, this is how it ends. And all the while, who were our parenting for urban kids' classes? Right? Where, where, how can we help? And then how can we provide hope for this whack, crazy world we live in? You got balloons flying over the country. <laughs> we don't know what, I think they said it was a second balloon yesterday. I'm praying that they ain't 55 balloons this time next week. You talking about Armageddon, and you talking about the last of days. Now, guess what? Every church in America will be full this time next week if that happens. Let me tell you right, all of a sudden, everybody got time to come to church and pray. Let me get back on target and say this, and I'll find my seat. Communion is a time to commemorate. In other words, it's time to recollect, to actively commemorate, remember, actively stop, pause, and let's slow this thing down. And let's keep the main thing the main thing. Building the church is more than video walls, it's more than signs, it's more than wonderful dances and, and slick statements and, and websites and, and, and who, who's got this, who's got that, and, Oh, that's wonderful. That's window dressing. But the church is about his shed blood. The church is about the breaking of bread, which means you and I should live a life of brokenness. Number two, oh, let me talk to you about number two, a time of commitment as a consecrated and a sanctified people. You remember Paul says this in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Holy, 
acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Uh, do not be, here we go again, do not be conformed to this world, right? But be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind. This is why Bible study is so important. This is why, this is why faith Confession is so important. This is why holiness and righteousness is so important because as a man thinketh in his heart or in his mind, so is he. Your biggest war is between your ears. It's what you receive, what you see, and what you say. That you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Let me give you one last scripture here as it relates to number two. First Peter 2 and 8. Listen closely. But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy people. Come on, say, I'm a holy person. Come on, everyone, say, I'm a holy person. The Bible says you're his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now you're the people of God, who not had at one time had mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. I got to pause this for a quick moment right here because I, I have a hard time just flossing through that scripture. Man, thank God for mercy. Please be patient with me. Please be patient with me if, if you don't mind. Thank God for mercy. His mercies are new every morning. And when you wake up, before you do anything, if it's morning time, it's mercy time. And I know we struggle, and boy, we have some moments, and oh God, we have issues. I don't care if you're married or single or single again or divorced or, or, or dating. Boy, we just have some relational issues at times. But when I wake up, if it's morning time, it's mercy time. His mercy is anew every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Thank God for his mercy. Because not only is his mercy new in the morning, goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. Why is this important? Because he brought us out of darkness and he brought us into his marvelous light. Because we one day, we at one time were not a people, but now we're the people of God. We at one time had no access to mercy, but now we have access to the mercy seat of God. So this is why the Bible tells us, let us come boldly. Let us come boldly. Let us come boldly to the throne of God, that we would obtain mercy. Mercy for the time that you needed the most. Someone thank God for mercy. Amen. When the bread is broken, it is a commemoration. Jesus says the breaking of the bread, but it wasn't the breaking of his body. When I think about this bread this morning, and I'm closing. It's a little old, it's been here for quite a while. But again, Luke, Matthew, and Mark. These are what we call the synoptic gospels. They saw the same thing. They wrote the same thing. They agreed on the same thing. Now because of their backgrounds, they had different cultural slants on how they wrote. And this is why all three books in the Bible are differently to different audiences. But one thing they agreed was this. In Luke 22, I think it's Matthew 26, and I think it's Mark 11, if not mistaken, they saw Jesus sit with the church. 
he sat with his 12 disciples and he saw them break the bread. Now, it wouldn't have looked like this. This is like garlic toast to me, but I don't think it was garlic toast back then. Uh, uh, Pepper's Farm, Harris Teeter brand. Uh, but I think you get the picture. Uh, oh, by the way, the 21 day fast has come to a completion. Praise the Lord. And I can't wait to get some garlic toast. <laughs> I don't care if it is Pepper's Farm or Harris Teeter brand. It don't matter to me at this time. It's still going to be the same. Now, but he takes the bread and he breaks it. Now, his body's not going to break because scripture has to be fulfilled. But he symbolizes to you and I, may your life be a life of brokenness. He says, I am the bread of life. And whoever eats of me shall never be hungry again. Friends, you are a sanctified people. You are a consecrated people. You are a called out separate people. You have to believe. And I know some things are tough to believe in scripture. I know some things are hard to believe in the Bible, but we walk by faith and we have to trust that he is the living bread. And the Bible says after he broke the bread, he gave it, he gave it. Well, he's no Ricky at this, remember now, he took another loaf of bread, remember, and fed 5,000 people. So he's, he's not new to anything in this. They say he's not new to it, he's true to it. But then he takes the cup. Remember now the cup. Now, if, if I was in Israel, and I'll be there soon, I'd have to give you the traditional Jewish understanding of what happened. It wouldn't have been just, when you understand the Passover, and a typical traditional Passover meal, Brother BJ, it, it wouldn't have just been one cup they drank, they would have had four cups of wine that night. So let's go back to Matthew 26. They were, they, they were observing the Passover. And as tradition would have it, come on, say tradition, tradition. they would have drunk four cups of wine. Now I'm not a wine drinker, Never been one. But I do think it makes you sleepy. If you believe it, just go ahead and nod your head. You ain't got to say amen, just nod your head. It's okay, you're in good company here. We, we all know we, we're delivered now, right? Uh, we are delivered, aren't we? <laughs> but you say, how do you know that? Well, remember when Jesus goes out to pray and he says, can you at least pray for one hour with me? He doesn't go once or twice, three times. He goes back to the disciples and they are fast asleep. Why? Because after four glasses of wine like this, they was toe up from the floor. I'm telling you right now, they couldn't keep their eyes open. But that was their custom. So all you word of faith, Pentecostal, spiritual leaders who say it was unfermented wine. Jesus had unfermented. No, that was real wine. All right. So when Paul tells Timothy, drink some wine for your stomach's sake, he says, Pastor Tim, just a little bit of wine to get your stomach back regulated. But please don't spend the night at the ABC store in line waiting for them to open in the morning. That's, that's not what he meant, Pastor, okay? I'm just trying to tell you. So they took the wine. And, you know, my freshman year at Duke University at, at, at our in MDF school, it really messed me up as a young student. I just got married. We're living in Durham. We got a little raggedy car. We drive back from Greensboro. And the professor had communion, but he kept using the Lord's name in vain. I'm talking about GD this and GD that while he served communion. And not only that, they passed the cup around to 200 students in the, in, in the classroom. You do know I did the old Baptist thing, right? I put one finger up, dipped my head, and walked out. <laughs> that lets you know I'm going to the bathroom. Now, if I put two fingers up, that means I'm going to be a while. I may not be back no time soon. But the reality is, that's how communion would have been served. So he takes the cup, 
He says, this cup is the blood. It is the new covenant. In other words, the old covenant of the law has now been superseded by the new covenant of the blood. Three things the blood does and we'll close. Number one, the blood cleanses. It cleanses. It cleanses. The blood cleanses. We see this in, 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 we see this in Hebrews 9 and 11. In the Old Testament, Moses offered blood as a sacrifice for the temporary relief of guilt and sin. In the New Testament, Jesus becomes the relief. He becomes the blood. He becomes the permanent and redemptive sacrifice for all sins. I love what Ephesians says, verse 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. May I remind everyone in this room, and may I remind everyone online today, there's nothing that can wash away your sins like the blood of Jesus. God doesn't look for excuses. God doesn't look for your rationalizations and your reasoning and all of your logical explanations. Only his blood can forgive you and cleanse you from your sins. Number two, the blood covers. Someone say the blood covers. Hebrews 9.22 says this. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Okay? This is why it's important to understand. Not only does the blood cleanse, it also covers. Finally, number three, his blood consecrates us. It separates us. It distinguishes us from every and anything out there. Bible says again in 1 Peter, for you know that it is not with perishable things or corruptible things like silver and gold that you are redeemed from the empty way of living handed down from your forefathers. Verse 19, but it is with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So I'll say this one more time. When he gave the cup and he said, do this in remembrance of me, he was telling the church, remember, when you take of this blood, you take of my covering. You take of my cleansing and you take of my consecration. This is very important because it leads us to our last point. Cup communion is a time to have covenant with Christ. Communion is a time of covenant with Christ. So the Bible says, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, he broke and blessed it and broke it, gave it to the disciples, take and eat in my body. He took the cup and gave thanks. And he said to them, listen closely, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sin. Friends, I don't ever want City Church, North Lake, to be so high tech, we lose the touch of communion. May we never get so fancy and innovative and sick secular. May we never ever get so hungry to appease the world that we lose the tenets and the sacraments of faith. And our faith says this, the body and the blood heals. It cleanses. It makes us whole again. And if nothing else, it reminds us that we've been bought with a price. 2,000 years ago, on Calvary's cross, on that rugged, ugly, inhumane, most horrible and damnable public way a human could have ever died. Jesus hung on that cross. You have to believe and know that what happened on that cross, on Golgotha's hill, was my savior, your savior. Well, was he black? Was he white? He could have been polka dot, paisley, and plaid all together. It don't really matter. What matters to me is that his blood was red. And when that blood came streaming down, 
and when they pierced him in his side and both blood and water gushed out. Let me remind you of one thing. Even at that time, the naysayers and the skeptics and the haters, somebody got touched that day. And isn't it is amazing? Boy, I dare you to do a deep dive in 2,000 years of church history. This gospel has made it through all of the major campaigns of doubt, enemies, oppositions. It has made it through all of the nuances and changes of those who tried to hide this gospel. And yet here we are in 2023, yet singing about the blood, yet standing on the promises of God, yet believing God that when we take the bread and when we take the wine, that we are commemorating, that we are remembering what Jesus did for the church. Would you stand to your feet? Praise team is coming. We're going to open the altar for a time of prayer. Because in my teaching and in my presentation, I would never ever have a message or service and not ask of a commitment from you. My commitment today is this, or my ask and my takeaway today would be simply this. Would you be willing today to commit or to recommit your heart to the Lord in covenant? Because if Holy Communion is a time of recommitment, I'm asking you to take time to recut covenant with the Lord. And I know you've gone through some tough times and some stressful times and there's been some anxiety times. But may today be that platform and that perfect reminder that I am nothing without Christ. I can do nothing without him. And so on.